If you'll take your Bibles and turn to the first chapter of the book of John. John has now moved into the witnesses and the signs that show that Jesus is God. So he will show many miracles that God has, that Jesus did, that God did through Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit in the world that is unmistakable, that only God can do. The things that Jesus did that John chooses are so miraculously that it shows that it is only God who could do such a thing, and he's pointing to the deity of Christ. So we've, we're going back to that first witness that John already uh, showed, and that was John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the first witness that John is choosing. Remember, John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. He is a prophet, just like any of the other Old Testament prophets. And his, and his ministry is like that of a prophet. His, his message is the same as the message of Moses. But there's a little bit, something a little bit different about John. Moses' ministry was not to point at Jesus and say, this is the Son of God. But John the Baptist did get to do that. So though the John the Baptist uh, foresaw into the future as a prophet, he also was able to, with certainty, look at one person and say, this is the Messiah. This is the one that we've been waiting for. And we'll see that, that it's God that works in John in order to do these things. So let's read from verse 29, which we talked about last week, and through verse 34. The next day... John seeth Jesus coming to him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he, he that made manifest to Israel, therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptized with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear witness that this is the Son of God. Strong, strong, strong. You remember that in the first chapter that we've been looking at for a few months now, it is a theme to say, I don't know God. I do not know Jesus Christ. If you look back, if you've got your Bible in your lap, if you look back to verse 10, he said that the whole world didn't know him, that he came to his own and his own did not know him. The world did knew him not. He was in the world and the world was made by him, but the world didn't know him. In John 26, first, or John 1, 26, he is talking to the deputation that came from Jerusalem, the Jews who came from the Jewish leaders. And he said, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you know not that will baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. You don't know him. He's not just saying that the world didn't know him, and he's not just saying that you uh, wicked Jews, you Pharisees who are refusing to repent, you don't know him. But John says himself twice in this section, I didn't know him. I, don't, I did not know who he was. So in 31 it says, and I knew him not. 
And then in 33, I knew him not. This is John saying, Jesus Christ, I did not know he was the Messiah. Now that's kind of interesting when you think about who John is. And we'll look at that in just a minute. So I took this passage and I wrote down four questions. And I'm going to break this up into four parts. Whether or not it takes but in one week, I have no idea. But, but I broke it into four parts, and I simply wrote four questions down that I, that I pulled from this passage. The first question that I wrote down was, how did John come to know Jesus? If twice he said, I did not know him, but he pointed to him and didn't, just didn't say, that's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, and he is the Son of God. He obviously is making serious claims as a prophet of identifying Jesus, the Messiah. How did he come to know him if he did not know him? That was the first question I wrote down. Then, a question that has been puzzling me since I was five years old, why did Jesus come to be baptized? Why? Would it, why would he need to be baptized? And why would he come to John to be baptized? So I, I scratched my head for a couple hours yesterday just digging in that question and see We'll see what I found. Number three, I wrote, what does the baptism of Jesus teach us about God's salvation of sinners? Because you have to remember, John is choosing his signs and his witnesses to show Jesus as Savior. He's showing Jesus as God, and he's showing Jesus as Savior, that the intent of God is to save men. And so this first event that he chooses, the first story that he chooses to put in his gospel, it has to speak to those things. And so I wrote down, in what way does this baptism teach me of what God has done for me in Christ? And then the elephant in the room has to be about baptism. So I wrote down, what are the differences between John's baptism, because John was baptizing, Jesus' baptism, which is completely different from what John was doing, and a Christian's baptism. So what are the differences there? So let's look at this first question. How did John come to know Jesus? Now, in verse 30, John is repeating himself. Now, he's already said this previous in this chapter, but he said, this is the one that I said, after me comes a man who's preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, the, the Bible often uses economy. It'll say the most in seriously important thing in just a few words. It doesn't go on and on and on. It doesn't just rattle and rattle. John is saying something huge in just seven or eight words here. This is the one. He's pointing to Jesus, to his disciples, and to all these people that came. Um, at the beginning of Luke, when Luke is talking about the baptism of Jesus, he is saying all of these people came to be baptized in the Jordan by John, and Jesus came also. So we're talking about a crowd. There's, this is not a pub, uh, private thing. This is not just a John was hanging out by himself, nobody was around, and Jesus came up to him by himself. It's not that way. It's very, very public. It's very, very open. And as it, all of these people are there and Jesus is coming, or Jesus is going, or Jesus is walking, because we'll see that John had to come to know him first before he could point to him. He said, after me, this is the one I was talking about when I said, after me, a man is coming, which is preferred before me, for he was before me. 
Now that's already a quote. Now I, as I read through this, if you've ever been with me in a Bible study, I will always ask, the last time you read it, was there anything that popped out at you? Because I truly believe that the Holy Spirit teaches us. And you will read and read and read, and every time you read a passage, God is teaching that the teacher is not your teacher. The teacher is the Holy Spirit who is using God's word to build faith, to, to alert you to something that he's working on. And the thing that caught my mind as, we re as I read it was the word man here. Can you see it in verse 30? This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. So John is saying several very important things. He was revealed in time before I was. Okay, if you remember, John the Baptist is the, is the cousin of probably first cousin once removed. I don't know if you've ever played with that, how you do that. It means that Elizabeth and Mary, Jesus' mother, were cousins. And that means that John the Baptist, or John, John the Baptist would have been his second cousin, perhaps, or third cousin, depending on where the cousins were. It would have gone down the list like that, and he would have been a cousin to Jesus. No idea. The scriptures are completely silent. Did they grow up together? Were there family reunions? Did they hang out at each other's house? Did they, like, count down the new year? Don't have any idea. But he did know that it was a divine birth because Elizabeth knew. And according to Elizabeth's testimony, Mary comes to him, and Elizabeth said, how is it that I'm so blessed that the mother of my Lord would come to me? knowing that, that Mary was going to, be ha was going to have the, the Messiah. And while she was speaking, John the Baptist jumps in her stomach. So she, he flips that by he, at, the, at the word of your voice, the baby in me leapt. And that from his mother's womb, he had the Holy Spirit. Don't know anything at all. But John twice in this, he, if you remember how short his answers were, do you remember to the, the people a couple weeks ago when we talked, those people that came, are you the Messiah, are you the prophet, are you Elijah? He was like, by the time that they asked him the third or fourth question, he was answering in one syllable, no, nothing. He wasn't giving them anything. So he wasn't a man of Babel. But twice in two verses, he said, I did not know him. I didn't know. Now, did he know Jesus? I think yes. I think he did know Jesus. Did he know that Jesus was the Messiah? John is saying, absolutely not. I did not know. God had to show me this. Nobody told me. I didn't learn this from mom. Okay, mom didn't tell me this. God told me this, and, and we'll see that in just a minute. So he was revealed in time before me. Remember, John's about six months older. So whether John's older in time, and he's the older and Jesus is the younger, so that would make John the one that's more honorable because you, you would honor the older and not the younger. And he said, he is ahead of me, which is, he's priority. He is uh, above me. He's priority of me. He's elevated above me. Though I'm older than he is, I should have honor. He has more honor because he existed before me. So in some ways, John the Apostle, who doesn't even meet Jesus late, until later, we're going to see there's a, there is another man that didn't know Jesus in this chapter. Many people think that the two disciples at the end of chapter 1 who John points and says, that's the Lamb of God, they then go and, and follow that John is one of these. That the, the, many of the 
first, uh, first and second century church fathers all preached that this, this unnamed disciple was the same unnamed disciple that went through the entire book. John never listed himself by name. He always was the one that Jesus loved. He was the he, he was the writer, and he always put himself down, and he has an unnamed disciple who goes away from John and follows Jesus. So there's John himself didn't know Jesus, but comes to know Jesus, and John's the one who wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning. All things were created by him. John is coming through and seeing that Jesus Christ is God, and that he was the pre-existent one, the one who existed before time started. And John the Baptist is seeing the same thing. Now, you remember, John the Baptist is a prophet. He has God's vision. He has eyesight beyond his ability. He can see into the deep past and perceive what was actually there. He can look into the future and see what's there, whether or not he understands it fully. And then, in addition to being like Moses, he can point and say, that is the Messiah right there. You're looking at him. He had two jobs. He existed before me. So I knew him not. So I'm going to pull you to a second passage the, because he's referring to the baptism here. There is no baptism here. John, John misses it completely. But he's talking about, I when, he, when Jesus came to me to be baptized, I saw what God had told me I was going to see. I will see the Spirit descending upon him and remaining upon him. That person is the Messiah. That's the person you point to. That's the person you tell people about. So it's God who said it, okay? But if we're going to talk about the baptism that John is referring to, we need to see it. So um, I can take you several places. Let's go to Matthew because it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'll go to Matthew first, all right? So let's go to Matthew chapter 3. And we'll look just in that chunk. Um, the whole story goes from about 13 to 17. And let's see if, I, if it's in my notes or if it's on the screen. I'm not, I'm not remembering. So this is uh, Matthew 3, 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee unto Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and thou comest to me. So let's pause there just a minute. That's why I think he knew him. Here comes Jesus, and immediately John said, no, I'm not going to baptize you. Now, John has already done this. In, the, in Matthew chapter 3, about verse 7, 8, the Pharisees and the Sadducees come from Jerusalem to see what's going on, basically as spies or whatever, as troublemakers, and want to come to be baptized with everybody else. And John's like, who warned you to, to escape the coming damnation? Who warned you, you bunch of snakes? You, if, you want to be, if you want to be baptized, show repentance. M produce a fruit that's, that's acceptable as repentance. Prove it. Prove it through your life. Prove it through your choices. He wouldn't baptize them. He was saying, you're a fraud. You're a fake. Get out of here, Mr. Mr. High, High and Mighty. This is my river. Okay, you go back to whoever you came from, but you're not being baptized with me because obviously you're a fraud. And John refused to baptize the Pharisees because they were unworthy of baptism. And here comes Jesus, and he said, but John forbade him, wouldn't allow it, and said, I have need to be baptized of you, 
and you come to me? Now that is really interesting. I, I bet you that was the very first time that John thought about being baptized himself. It's only when you come to Jesus, when you go into Jesus' presence, do you then become the one in need. It's really easy to be the one that is telling other people how to live. It really is very simple. Okay, to, to, to be the prophet, to be the you do this and you do that, to be the you are guilty before God, that's an easy job to have. And there's a lot of people who delight in having that job, to look down their nose at others and to tell them that they are right or wrong with God. Now, that's not to say that people are wrong with God. They are wrong with God. But you weep for the people. You weep for the people. You do not say, oh, yeah, I'm just telling people how to live. You know, and God, that, sorry about my harsh personality. You know, that's my spiritual gift of, of being a grump. Okay? That's not how God does things. But he is now in Jesus' presence, and instantly, for the, maybe for the first time, he was like, I'm the one that needs to be baptized. If I am showing repentance, if I'm showing that I need to change, that I need to break, that I need to bend, that I need to go lower, the first time I ever thought about it was when I came straight in face to face with Jesus and I looked into the face of a righteous man. And all I could think of is, why would you come here to be baptized? If I'm baptizing for repentance, what do you have to repent about? So it's strange. He, he wouldn't let Jesus be baptized for the, for the opposite reason that he wouldn't let the Pharisees be baptized. The Pharisees, Pharisees were unworthy of, because of repentance. But Jesus was too worthy of repentance. He had no need to repent. He was righteous. So without a doubt, John knew that Jesus was righteous, uh, whether he remembered that he was his cousin or not. I don't know that they'd seen each other since they were boys. At the end of chapter 1 in Matthew, it says that, that John from early age lived in the wilderness, completely away from people. I don't even know that he went to family, family things. I don't even know that Jesus living in Nazareth and he living in the desert somewhere would have even known each other as men. But he knew that the person that the Spirit would descend upon and remain upon, that was the Messiah. And that is after that, when he saw it, when he was confirmed, when God confirmed that this is who I'm talking about, this is who I'm chosen, then you tell. Remember, they cut the trees. Everybody that wanted to be a priest, all they wanted to be a priest, I want to be a priest, I want to have influence, I want to tell people what to do, cut you a tree. Carve your name on that tree, put it in the door of the tabernacle, and see, see what happens in the morning. And in the morning, they all came and got their stick, and their dead stick with their name carved into it, and Aaron's stick had flowers and blossoms and fruit. Now, tell me you've ever seen fruit and flowers at the same time. Okay? The fruit becomes, the flower becomes the fruit. He did it all. He showed the entire life cycle of that almond tree overnight, and Aaron was carved into it. God gets to pick his priest, not everybody that wants to. And so here's, here's John the Baptist looking straight into the face of a righteous man and wanting to be baptized himself. And John said, I didn't know him but, this was in verse 33, he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, now remember John's a prophet, God speaks to him directly, 
even audibly, I have no idea, but God speaks to him. The word of the Lord comes to John the prophet, and he said, upon whom that thou shalt see the spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptized with the Holy Ghost. So God had already given him a picture. God had given him a, um, this is what you're looking for. This is the sign that you're looking for. You're looking for this person. Now, if you remember the Holy Spirit in the, in the Old Testament was strong. Samson had the Holy Spirit and could pull down a door off of a town and carry it to the top of a mountain and break things. And he was, he was incredible. The Holy Spirit could come upon people and they would prophesy. Even Saul, the wicked king, prophesied when the Holy Spirit allowed him. But the Holy Spirit did not remain on anybody. If the Holy Spirit was given to a prophet or given to the king, um, it was then t removed when that purpose was over. It was for a job. It was for a ministry. It was, a, it, was a, it was to prepare them to do something. So there was an anointing. And the priest was anointed and the oil would flow down over their beard. And the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And sometimes they didn't even know the Holy Spirit was gone. They cut Samson's hair and he gets up to act like he's a big whoop, whoop, whoop up on somebody. And he didn't realize that he couldn't do any of it. He was, it was gone. The Holy Spirit had left and he didn't even know where it was. The Holy Spirit departed. But John saw the Holy Spirit come and, and descend onto Jesus and remain on him. First time that had ever happened. If you remember the two big prophets from the, from the Old Testament, you have Elijah. Elijah was so godly that he had a secretary or a, or a servant named Elisha. And he walked across the Jordan River and he took his, his coat off and he just slapped the river. And the river just packed up and he walked right across the dry ground and then he slapped it and the river came by. He had power that people were just amazed at. And Elisha asked for something. As he realized he was, that Elijah was about to go, he said, do me something. I want a double portion of your spirit. I want the Holy Spirit twice what you have. Now Elijah looks and goes, wow, you know how to ask. That's a proper question. That's a proper request. To ask for God's spirit upon you means that that is the greatest of all blessings, but the greatest of all responsibilities. To have God's spirit is serious. And he said, don't know, I'm not the one to grant that request, but if you can see me when I'm taken, then I'll know that the request was granted. And here comes a, a chariot of fire that comes and Elijah gets on and the horses just boil up to the sky and the coat falls down from the chariot and lands right on the ground at Elisha's feet. And, and that meant that Elisha had twice the Holy Spirit's power in his ministry as Elijah did. Now, I like that. It, show, it shows that God is always looking to the next generation to be just as kind as the pr previous generation. But twice doesn't mean anything. At the end of the book of John 3, remember, for God so loved the world, at the end of that chapter, it says something about Jesus that God did not, uh, God gave the Holy Spirit to Jesus without measure. There wasn't a measurement. There wasn't a twice this spirit or half this spirit. The entire Holy Spirit was fully working in Jesus' life. Jesus was a man. You have to realize that John said, a man is coming after me that was preferred before me. 
He was God Almighty. That's John's purpose. That's the purpose of this book is to show that Jesus is God. But he is a man. And as a man, Jesus did not live as Lord Almighty. He didn't live his life in a clean way, doing as he pleased. Even the devil said, turn the bread into, into or turn the rocks into bread. You're God, right? And, he, and Jesus, instead of just saying, yeah, you're right, would quote scripture and say, Mm-mm, bread is not the most important thing, and quote scripture back to the devil as he was being tempted. Jesus lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, just like we are called to do. We ha- I have no deity to call on. I can't call upon my fact that I would only do good and never do evil. I would do evil at every point if God did not help me. So, so Jesus as man, as the savior of men, the man, the savior of men, lived with the full power, without measure, of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doing all things, telling him what he was to do, showing him what he was to do, giving him the power, allowing him to to do what was impossible for him to do. How could you, first of all, even live cleanly in this world? It takes the Holy Spirit to do it. And Jesus never sinned, never sinned, never, not once. Never in the first inkling of his heart was it ever dark towards he wanted to sin. He only pleased God all the time, and he had power. And so when he took a, when he took a basket with some crackers in it, he could break the crackers, and suddenly there was more crackers than there were crackers. There was, the leftovers were more than they started with. The Holy Spirit was God working in this world, and Jesus relied on it, praying constantly in the Spirit. We saw him here rejoicing in the Spirit in one of our readings today. He rejoiced in the Spirit. He enjoyed God in the Spirit because his connection to God as a man, though he is God, was through the Holy Spirit just like you, just like me just like any of God's people, because we are men. We are the, the children of Adam and Eve, and as such, we're dust and ashes. And Jesus, as a man, needed the Holy Spirit, and he had it without measure. And John was told by God, when you see the Spirit descending upon him and remaining upon him, not like Gideon, not like Samson, not like Elijah or Elisha, but remaining never to be uh, diminished, never to be diluted, power completely, that is the Messiah. And suddenly now John is realizing Jesus, the righteous man, is God. That, That dawned on John the Baptist. That dawned on him. And when he then pointed, he said, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world, suddenly he was now speaking in full theology. He wasn't saying Jesus, the righteous man. He was saying this is the Savior. And then later he he calls him again the Lamb of God, and then he says this is the Son of God. This is God Almighty. That man is God. Now, no wonder people thought John the Baptist, like all Christians truly who who preach the, the true gospel, are nuts, are absolutely nuts. I I did an internet search uh, yesterday, kind of for funny. I, ne- I, I thought about it the other day, but I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to see what the truth was. But, but I uh, did a Google entry like I was worried about going to hell. What do I do because I'm worried about going to hell? Oh, my goodness. 
there are a lot of people who write things on the internet, lots and lots and lots. And the answers that I got of, oh, you poor person, yes, I know my grandma was a Christian too. Yes, I know it's so hard to get out of that. And then one person after another basically saying, yeah, I used to be afraid of hell, but now I'm no more afraid of hell than I am of Mordor. Okay, that whole idea of just this, it's just, I don't, I'm no more afraid of God than I am afraid of trolls. Like that somehow that in past years, priests would put their thumb on poor, ignorant, illiterate people in order to get them to pay more and tell them that you better do right or you better do what I tell you or you're going to hell. And suddenly now we have a whole generation that's, that's so afraid of hell. And I just think, I just scratched my head and I thought, oh my goodness. You've got, you've got perversion in every imaginable way that used to be considered mental illness, and now it's normal and natural. And now someone who's God-fearing and afraid that God will judge them according to their deeds is now a mentally ill person that needs therapy in order to escape. You call good bad and bad good. That's the world we live in. And John looked straight at him, and it was still the world you lived in. And John said, that's God. That's amazing. So John bears record. I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove. Now, like a dove, I somehow don't think that John freaked out over a bird, personally. You see a bird and you're like, oh, that must mean something. It portends something. I, I don't consider John superstitious. I have no idea if the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove, it actually says in every one of the Gospels, in the form of a dove. So is there a bird? Is there something visible? I probably would say yes, because I always defer to what the words say. I don't know how you do when you, when you read. If the word says that, I go, okay, there's my, that's where I start. If, in fact, it was not actually a bird, but John simply saw the Spirit descend what does that mean how would he see the spirit the spirit is a spirit he's not visible but I think that if there was a form of a dove here if the, uh, you saw a bird descending from heaven landing on Jesus and staying there that it was for John it wasn't it, it was for John John then had his claim because it was important his job was to point to the right person God needed him to know that it was the right person he was pointing to. So for John's benefit, the bird flew out of the sky. Now, it's interesting, too, that as I look and say, who others' benefit would, would it have been for, for, I wrote that in a different page, and we'll look at that in a different place. But, but primarily, I see it something that John could see and it remained on him and John recognized that the spirit of God was not inside a bird it wasn't like the Trojan horse it wasn't that the bird was like a box that the Holy Spirit was in but it was the idea that it came to him it came to him um, but it doesn't matter he saw that humble man he saw that righteous man he saw the spirit of God and whatever eyes that God had given him to see he could see and he knew that it was Jesus Christ. I want to tell you that that is all of us. You will not know Jesus unless God shows Jesus to you. You won't know Jesus because someone told you about Jesus. You won't know Jesus because you're smart. You won't know Jesus because you know a lot of things. 
God shows him to you. He showed him to John, and he showed him to you. So this is Matthew 16. Peter has just said, you are the Messiah of God. You are the Son of God. And this is what Jesus responds to Peter. Peter's proclamation. Later it's going to be the rock that he builds his kingdom upon. Not Peter the person, not the pope, but the fact that he said, you are the Son of God. That's a platform so strong that you can build a church on that. That Jesus is God. Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now that's interesting. God told you that I was the Son of God. You know me. We've eaten together. We've, locked, we've laughed together. We've, we've cut our feet together. You've walked with me. You've seen me. You've talked to me. I didn't even teach you that I'm the Son of God. God showed you. As, you, as God's eyes came through your eyes and you looked upon me, you knew that I was the who that I am claiming to be. It's God who does this. This is Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 12. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. That means that as you live your life, and as you have a testimony, a true testimony, as you're living in faith or no faith, that faith is coming through God's spirit in your life, must, has to. That if you say Jesus is Lord, you can't say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit actually says that Jesus is Lord. If the Holy Spirit that says Jesus is Lord, you can say it. You cannot say Jesus is accursed. As, uh, and he's referring back to the time where, where they accused Jesus of, of being indwelt by a, a demon or something like that. And he was casting out devils by the power of the devils. And Jesus laughed at him and said, you know, a house divided against itself will fall. How in the world can you, can you cast out Beelzebub by Beelzebub? You, you know, that's not right. So you cannot say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, and you cannot call him accursed if you're speaking by the Spirit because the Spirit of God would not allow that to be said. You can't say it and be speaking by, the, by uh, God's power, God's Spirit. This is the last thing, and I'm going to end here. I'll end with this first point of why, how did, G, did John come to know him? He came to know him by revelation, that God revealed him to us, to him and to us, the same. Now, it's interesting. Someone may teach their grandchildren. You may teach your grandchildren, and you're welcome to, and it's the greatest blessing of, of a family that people more likely are to come to the Lord when taught by the people that they're looking at and seeing that, that they love God and seeing the power of their life. So, but it must take God to do it. God must be the one saving that person, breaking that eggshell, and allowing God to be seen as who he actually is. This is Luke's account of Jesus' final prayer. This is from Luke 10. Luke 10. 
In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babies. Even so, Father, for it, may, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me by my Father, <clears throat> and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. And he turned to him, to his disciples, and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. That God is the one who tells you that Jesus Christ is God. And Jesus Christ is the one who brings you to God. Now, not claiming I understand that. <clears throat> you will not come to God unless Jesus Christ presents you to God. And you will not come to Jesus Christ unless God the Father leads you to Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Through the silliness of preaching. Through a simple, weak person who shares the gospel with you. That's how you get saved. And God will do it. And the Father is doing it. Bringing you to the Son. And the Son is the one presenting you to the Father. And the Holy Spirit is the only way possible. So the Trinity was sitting there at Jesus' baptism. The Father says, you are my Son whom I am well pleased. Jesus is there fulfilling all righteousness. And the Holy Spirit is empowering it all. Allowing, allowing Jesus to be, to be what he needs to be for his ministry. So next week, <clears throat> Lord willing, we'll look at a seriously big question. Why did Jesus come to John for baptism? Why on earth would Jesus, the, the Son of God, need to be baptized in the Jordan River by John?